Amen, amen. Good morning, Identity Church. I hope you all had a great week this week. I know I have. It's been a real busy week. Uh, some really cool stuff is starting to happen for the people who are listening on our podcast. Uh, we signed a lease on a building. So we have a building here. It's, um, it's, a, it's almost 5,000 square feet. It's, um, it's really big for us. So growth, it's plenty of room for growth. Um, so over the next coming weeks, we're going to be working on that. We're going to uh, start trying to set a date. We'll let people know on Facebook and, and uh, on the website when those dates are going are gonna to happen for our opening, for our grand opening, I guess you could say. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears into what I'm going to talk about this morning because the Lord's been putting on my heart through the Beatitudes. I mean, everybody has heard messages on the Beatitudes. You know, Matthew chapter 5, everybody goes, ah, oh, the Beatitudes. Most people don't even know that the Beatitudes was a, a, a phrase that was actually coined by a Roman philosopher almost 100 years before Jesus. I mean, it was like 63 AD, he come up with this philosophy of being blessed. And in the Latin term, the word blessed is the word, uh, let me see if I can't find it, and I'm going to really mess this up, but it's beetatuda. Uh, be Let's just go with that, okay? So essentially, in the Latin, whenever the word blessed is used, the, the word beatitude was also used. And, and so Jesus spoke in the Greek, so he didn't even use Latin. He didn't say the Latin word beatitude. Uh, we've, we've taken what, when they, when they transcribed over um, Matthew chapter 5 into Latin for the Roman folks to, to listen to, um, essentially, you know, people started talking about the beatitudes. So in the Greek, uh, the word um, makiros is is the word that means happy, content, euphoria. It's like a euphoric type of state. Uh, blessed, so, so in the Latin, it is uh, beata. And so when, when this word, so like Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It was in the Latin, it was beata paparus spiru. Whatever that means. Oh, it means blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Okay, so my point behind this is, is that everybody loves this idea of the Beatitudes. And they're great, and it's awesome. But we have to understand that Jesus was stating these things for a particular purpose. They were stating this for a particular reason. He, he was trying to get the people the multitudes that was there to see something. Like we think that the Beatitudes is this thing that, that we apply to our life that Jesus was speaking generally. And he was to a point, but he was also speaking to a crowd. We have to understand there was a context. Jesus is there in front of a crowd of people. And a thousand people starts coming up. 
Do you think Jesus is going to talk to us? You know, like, like we're going to go, oh, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, we can obtain things from that, but we really have to understand what things were happening in the time frame. And then we can apply those things to ourselves and it becomes so much richer. So the Beatitudes are Matthew 5, 3 through 12. And everybody knows, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when you were reviled and persecuted and say all these kind of evil things against you falsely for my sake. See, these beatitudes, they're something we can apply, but a lot of times we don't understand why Jesus even said them. I've heard people that have, that have taken some of these scriptures and I'm going... I still don't even understand if I understand. You told me what you told me and I don't understand. But I will tell you what Jesus was dealing with at the time. So if everybody will just let me have, you know, go on a journey with me here. Uh-huh. All right, we're going to go on a journey and we're going to talk about the temple. All right? Now there's a lot of stuff on here. I've got Solomon's temple. So this, blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to tackle verse 3 right here of Matthew 5. So essentially, Jesus is out there talking to people and telling them, Hey, I love people and God loves people and he wants to have a relationship with you. Well, guess what? That was not an idealism, if you will, in the the Jewish-Israeli culture. You didn't have a relationship with God. There was only one group of people that actually had a relationship with God. Who were they? The priests. The priests were one group, Levites, right? They were the ones that took care of the temple. They were the ones that did the sacrifices. They were the ones that did everything. But I want you to understand that the temple that was given to Solomon how to build it, what it needed in it, everything was created for a purpose. It was created for one specific purpose. Anybody want to, I've given some some clues up here, but but I, I teach on this whole spirit, soul, and body thing, right? Everybody's heard my spirit, soul, and body. What does the temple look like to you? If I was to just say, if you were to take spirit, soul, and body, and break it down, what does it look like? It looks like man. We have a spirit that encompasses a soul that lives in a body. God, through the temple, was showing how man is supposed to live with God. We see this in every element that happens in the temple. We see this in every element that is going on here. So when the temple was created, it was created with an outer court, an inner court, and the holy place, the holy of holies. 
It was created in three different areas. Just like we're three different areas, the temple was created in three different areas. We were made in the likeness of God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what we have to understand here is, is that God was trying to give a picture to people through the temple about how God wanted to be in them. This was also a picture of Jesus bringing us into the family, bringing us into the fold, making this happen in us. So as you see here, and, I, and I'm sorry for the people that are on the, that are listening on our podcast, you can't see this, but I have a diagram, if you will, of the temple. And the temple has an outer court that has seven steps. It has an inner court that has eight steps. Seven represents uh, completion. It represents that we have completed something. It means that when, when we have things come into us, we're taking those things in completely, totally. The eight is a renewal. Basically, after seven days, God said, now we're going to start the seasons. We're going to start everything. The same thing happened. As we know, we have eyes, ears, mouth. We have all these things that take in the world. The same thing happens in the temple. There was one way in and one way out. It was the ability for people to see this idealism about how God wanted to deal with us. And there was only one straight way for, me, for us to be able to come to him and worship him in spirit and in truth. And that was through the gates of praise and thanksgiving. In fact, Psalms 104 and 5 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and unto his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever, and his truth endures to all generations. What I want you to understand is, is that the, the temple itself was created to represent where the Holy Spirit was eventually going to live. And that was going to live in you, and it was going to live in me. And see, I, the last temple... Is going, to be a rec- is going to be recreated exactly like this. You may have thought, well, the second temple was probably created exactly like this, right? I mean, why wouldn't, why wouldn't the second temple be created like this? We're going to see a, another picture of Herod's temple. We're going to see another picture of how Herod's temple was created because it was created completely different. So, so Ezekiel 39 through 46, if y'all want to know about this, mom and I were talking about this last night. Essentially, it is after, you know, after Gog and Magog come onto the scene in the last days, we're going to see that the new temple is going to be built. The last temple is going to be built. And so Ezekiel 39 through 46 gives us a picture. It, it basically shows every bit of this, just not in a diagram form. But... Once you get from the outer court to the inner court, you have a brazen altar. This is where they killed the sacrifice. And then they would take these labors and they would take the sacrifice blood into the Holy of Holies and they would put it onto the, they would put it onto the mercy seat that was above the Holy of Holies. So you had the ark. 
You had a veil. You have these, the altar of incense and you have the tables of showbread along with the, the menorahs. All of this is a representation of our recreated spirit. See, Jesus said of himself in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. So what we see is God the Father in the Holy of Holies. What we see is Jesus that recreated our man spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that we've become a new creature in Christ Jesus. So Jesus the showbread and our spirit, the, the actual menorah, the incense, everything, all together, along with now that the veil is ripped, the Holy of Holies is open and we become one. We become Jesus, the bread of life. We become our spirit that has been completely and totally recreated. And then we have God the Father that is in the Holy of Holies. And all of that makes up our new recreated spirit that's on the inside of us. Amen. I mean, look at this picture. This shows us what I've been trying to show y'all through some of the other teachings that I do, but it gives you an actual picture of how this is. So our spirit, when Jesus comes into us, he is the bread of life. He is the recreation. See, we end up having that holy of holies on the inside of us. And then here in our soul, where you've got the brazen altar, you have the court of Jacob and Boaz. And Paul alludes to this at the end of one of his letters where he says that both of these uh, bronze pillars, they represent unity of all man and love to all men. And see, unity and love is what brings us into the court of the Holy of Holy. That's why it stands before the Holy of Holies. That's why it is before the, sh the holy place. It's because unity and love is what brings us together in our spirit and our soul to be able to have that connection. See, sometimes people don't have unity and love and they try to separate their, their soul. They put this folding doors back up and they go, I'm not going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to listen to this. I love these chambers right here. This right here represents every part of our heart, our belief system, that in our soul, we have to fill up. We have to fill these chambers up with the belief of God's word. We have to fill them up with the belief in who he is in us. These lavers here were set out, 12 of them, for, every, for, for all of Israel, the 12 houses. And they were all there for each priest to be able to go and, and use to clean themselves up. And this molten sea right here, all this is is a big basin that had 12 oxen that were holding it up on its back. And you know what? It was to do baptisms. This baptism was being done in God, in our soul, long long before showing that we have to be baptized in our mind that our mind our will and our emotions needs to die 
and that it needs to be reborn. And see, this was, the, this was an act that was carried on every single year. Now, I'm going to tell you, you may be going, well, Dusty, what does this have to do with what Jesus had to say? What, why is this important when Jesus was talking about blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Well, all those people that were standing at Jesus' feet, the thousands that came up, the multitudes, they never got near any of this. Nothing. In fact, it was worse. Do you know how it was worse? I'm going to show you how it was worse. This is, and I know this is, I got this off the internet, so it's a little bit blurry. This was, this was the second temple. This is the monstrosity that, that Herod built. And I want to show, I mean, you just saw the old one where you had an outer and inner court. You had the holy place. You had the holy of holies. And the holy place and the holy of holies, they were connected together. Guess what? When, at, I think it was 516 BC, the children of Israel came back and was building Jerusalem after the Babylonians had come through and just utterly destroyed them. It was about 70 or 80 years between the time that they were destroyed and the time that they rebuilt. And see, only thing that was rebuilt was this inner part of the holy place and the holy of holies. In 516, they went and they rebuilt this little bitty building and they put the Ark of the Covenant back in it. And that's all they had until about 60 B.C. when Herod the Great, the grandfather of the one that was killing off everybody, he went and said, hey, I'm going to institute a tax. We're going to build a temple. We're going to recreate a temple and it's going to be greater than the first temple. It's going to be so much better than the first temple. And so what he did was he came in and he taxed everybody every week. You came in and you paid your little tax. In fact, if you remember, Jesus is walking down the street and one of the Pharisees says, do you not pay temple tax? And he turns around and he tells Peter, hey, go catch a fish. There's going to be a, a coin in it. And they asked him, they said, well, you don't, you, know, you don't pay your taxes. You don't do anything. And he took the coin and he said, who's on the coin? He's talking to him. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, well, that's Caesar. And he says, give to Caesar what Caesar's, Caesar's and give to God what's God's. See, what we have to understand here is that there was a king, Herod. He said, we're going to make this something that is much more grand. It's going to be the way we think our relationship with God is. If you notice in the last temple... You only had two sets of steps. You had your, your set of steps that came into the outer court and a set of steps that went into the inner court. Notice all of these uh, gates that were on this building. All these steps that were put in here. Each one of those represents a step. And see, you could bypass all these other areas. But also there was something that was even greater that he did. And it was worse all at the same time. Notice the thing, it says the court of the Gentiles. He put the court, he put all the Gentiles out. Well, why, why would he do that? Well, 
Romans were Gentiles, right? Let's keep the Romans out, okay? So they can't even come into the inner court. Like, they can't even come into the front door. But we're going to give them a court to say that that's a part of where they're at. Then you have this court of women. Oh, well, you couldn't even have a woman in here. And then you had all these open courts that, and treasury and all this other stuff that you could have different things go on. Buying and selling. You could, you could go and say, oh, well, you know, what, what was your sins today? What was your sins this year? Oh, well, you don't need just a, a goat. You need a bull too. See, this was a place where they said, no, it's like the front door. It's like I got to upsell you. You know how you got all the stuff, you go into like Best Buy, and they put you in this really long, you know, drawn out like, uh, you know, line that has all the candy and all the different stuff over there. And it's right eye level for like a five-year-old. Well, this is, this is what, this is what they were doing in the, in the temple. That's why Jesus flipped the tables in this court. See, Jesus was in this court when he flipped the tables. And see, you had to be a priest or of high regard to get into the court of Israel. And see, all the people would come into these gates and they would try to they would try to pay for their sins and then they would hand it to the priest at, at the, the Nicanor gate. And what you have to understand is none of that was there. That was not originally a part of anything. In fact, God never even told them to rebuild the temple this way. They were supposed to have rebuilt the temple this way. And guess what? They didn't do it. What did that do? It created a separation and more barriers between the people and between God. It made the Pharisees much more um, powerful. There wasn't even a Pharisee until about the time that these courts were being built. During the time when the Romans were first coming in, all you had was some priests and you had the leaders. You had people like the Maccabees. See, they created a religious government. And so Jesus is standing before all these people and they're listening to him talk. And they're going, do you have the Spirit of God? Do you have the Spirit of God? And they're like, no, I, I've, never, I've never even been in the... They won't even let me come in here because I'm so poor. Because I can't even afford their, their junk to sacrifice. I've never had my sins sacrificed for me. Think about that. You couldn't even get to God. He, he, he was so far away. And they told him, well, because you're poor, you don't, you're not even recognized. You can't even get into the court of the Gentiles if you're a beggar. This is what happened. And the people are standing out there and they hear this man start saying, the Spirit of God has come. The Spirit of God has come. And they're going, show me, I want to know this. God that you're talking about, I've never, I've been an Israeli all of my life, but I've never even been into the courts. I've never been able to have Psalms 104 come to pass in my life. Where I could 
Come into His presence with thanksgiving. It was not that way. It was not that way for these people. Thousands upon thousands of people heard, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was the first time anybody ever told them that. The Pharisees said you will die with your sins if you don't have enough money to pay. I'm going to tell you, there's a reason why Jesus was angry. There's a reason why God was angry with the Pharisees. It's because they were evil. Rome wasn't evil. Rome was just Rome. Rome was doing their own thing. I mean, Pontius Pilate at the end said, hey, I washed my hands of this. This man's not guilty. Rome had nothing to do with it. It was the religious people. I'm not even going to put it back on Israel. It was the religious people. It was a religious government. And see, I want to show you something. You know, when they took Jesus to the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, oh, all the, the priests, they met in this place called the Hall of the Hewn Stone. And see, they had their own little courtroom where they did all their little stuff. But the court of the priests, you could only come in one way. They did all of their altar, but it did not re represent what God wanted in people's life. It does not even show, it, it shows more separation. And see, that's what man believes of God. They believe God is somewhere else, somewhere in the universe, and that God is nowhere near. And see, this was the picture that God wanted to paint is that all of the people could come into the inner courts. All of the people could come and give thanksgiving. In fact, they actually would take their own sacrifice and walk it all the way into the brazen altar back in the day and give it to the priest and watch it be in sacrifice for their sins. I mean, think about that. They actually knew. My, I saw it. I saw them. I saw them. The, the priests actually sacrificed for me. They were able to see it. They were able to, to take hold of it. Well, you know what? After, after the temple was destroyed originally, no one had the ability to have their real sins sacrificed for. This whole picture was done away with and it was turned into this monstrosity that never gave anybody the opportunity to be able to even know if their sins are being forgiven. See, that moves us on to blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you go study out all this stuff about uh, mourning, um, you know, the thing that keeps coming back up is things like this. Proverbs 29.2. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people will rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people will mourn. Well, the righteous, there was none. The Pharisees were evil, money-grubbing men. And if you weren't rich, you didn't have anything. And so this governmental religion that the great Sanhedrin was put together, it was... It was just trying to create an opportunity 
to make more power for themselves. It was a power grab. It was a power play. You know, and Jesus came to say, no, I have created a kingdom for all men, for all people, for all women, for everybody in order for us to, to not have man's religion, but to have a relationship with God. And see, in Luke 17, 20 and 21, it says, now when he was asking the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, the kingdom of God does not come, does not come with observation nor will you say it's here or there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. He was basically telling the people, he was telling the Pharisees, look, you've got it wrong. The kingdom of God is going to be within you. Even the Pharisees didn't even understand it because they created this big monstrosity and said, oh, this is the way God is. They couldn't see what God was trying to do. They didn't see what was originally given to Moses and to, and to the Levite priests because that was when God was trying to set up the ability for us to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. And then Solomon, when he went to go build the temple, he made a right like representation of what man is supposed to look like, that he is supposed to have this spirit that has a soul and lives in a body and that that spirit can be completely and totally reborn. And that when Jesus said that the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, so John 14, 26, it says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost from the Father, all sin in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever things that I say. So there is a relationship of absolute connectivity with God. In 15, John 15, 26, it says, But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which will proceed from the Father, shall testify of me. And then, of course, we know, and I used this a minute ago, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any are in Christ, he's a new creature, and old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You know, I want, I'm going to stop right there. Because what I want to do is I want, I want this to sink in. Because Jesus was trying to create in these two verses. And I think that's why it was so important for those people. And more and more and more and more people started coming. It was like, I have never heard this. I've never heard that I could have the Spirit of God. I've never known that when I, that the government... This governmental religious sect that was out there, they've never told me that God was for me. And see, this is why the Beatitudes was so important. This is why the Beatitudes was so, like, it, it just resonated with them. Now, you may be saying, okay, Dusty, how does that affect me? Well, the same thing can happen. You know that if we tie our religion and our politics together, if we tie our, uh, if we tie denominationalism, I mean, there's been people who have left the Catholic Church because I I know some really good Catholic people. Don't get me wrong; they believe in Jesus, everything. I've also went to places all over the world, or I've went to at least one in uh, in the Central American area, 
And they're teaching voodoo as much as they're teaching anything else. And there's people in those Catholic churches that are leaving by the droves trying to find truth and they're trying to find the Beatitudes. They're trying to find Jesus and they're trying to have their heart recreated and have their spirit made a new creature and the old things pass away. And see, they're mourning and Jesus has given us a promise through this because it says that you may be mourning because of the things that are going on in our world. Right now, there's a lot of things going on in our world that make me mourn. I mourn for those people in Afghanistan. We gave them so much hope 20 years ago. We went in, there was Christians and there was all these people and the Taliban are killing them by the thousands and it is just, it makes me mourn. It makes me mourn because I don't, at least the ones that got a hold of the truth are going to go to heaven. But what I want you to understand is, is that because we have been filled with the Holy Ghost, become a new creature in Christ Jesus, he is going to comfort us. Just like John 14 and John 15 says, that he's going to come to us and he's going to say, because Jesus told us this in Matthew 24. We, everybody, this lady that, was, that I was telling you guys about, that, that her foundation kept getting messed up because they kept having floods. And I was like, lady, you need to move. And I was telling everybody this before our, our service that she said, I just don't think God loves us anymore. You know what? Our firm foundation has to be in Jesus because he told us. There's going to be storms that are going to come. Matthew 24 tells us there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and that's not the end. Do you know that right now, because of the things that are in Afghanistan, that's not the end? The end will come when Jesus said it would come. And he said it would come when the gospel is preached all over the world. See, see we're going to have, I mean, we've had World War I, we've had World War II. Well, heck, there was the... There was wars before then. We had the Revolutionary War and the Civil War and there was wars in France and, and in England. And I mean, just as far back as you can go, there have been wars. And what we have to understand is that the comforter for those who are saved, we should allow that truth to be implanted in our heart. See, we can be like the Holy of Holies and we can say, okay, I'm going to take what's going on and I'm going to mourn, but I'm going to let the comforter also show me what, what I need to do next. How many people have felt helpless over the last year? I'm raising my hand. You know what? I felt helpless, but you know what the Holy Spirit told me? He said, you still got stuff to do. There's going to be more to do. You're going to reach more people and do more things as long as you don't get bogged down in your morning. See, that's where the rubber meets the road with the Beatitudes for us. The Beatitudes were for them to say, hey, there's a new thing coming. This Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to recreate. And I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life that is coming to change your life 
mind, to change your will, to change your perception, and to give you a new spirit. And see, that's what Jesus was trying to get to them was that it's coming. I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life and then you're going to be able to do all the things. Do you know that we're in a better position than those people were? Because he couldn't do nothing for them. He had to make a promise to them. We have the promise and it also takes effect the moment we believe. See, that's how we can attach these beatitudes to ourselves. Is that we can say, oh, well, we're on the other side of the cross. When I have a a time of mourning, I need to turn back to the Holy Spirit and let Him comfort me and give me the spirit of truth. That's what we have to do now. I hear that in my spirit saying that the church has to rise up and quit mourning. The church has to rise up and quit belly aching about things that have happened before. We've got to move forward. We've got to keep going. We have things to do. And the spirit of truth, the, the, all the remembrance things that he's brought back, he's bringing it back to us to say, there's more stuff to do. There's more places we got to go. If you got to move your foundation, move it. But don't get stuck where I'm just in a constant state of depression and mourning. And see, Jesus said that he has created us as a new creature in Christ Jesus. You know what? If now that I'm a new creature, I still have pain. I still have all these different things. But I also have the Holy Spirit on the inside of me going, all right, you going to cry about that today? You know, having a good dad and a good mom, which I do, you know, they used to say, no, you're going to go to school. Well, I don't want to. They go, no, you're going to go to school. Oh, I don't want to go to work. Well, you're going to go to work. Do you know that when we were even sitting there going, well, I don't want to go talk to people because people are evil. I hate people. And the Holy Spirit goes, no, you love people. <laughs> but I don't want to go talk to them. It's like, it doesn't matter. You got to do it. You know, the Holy Spirit does that to me. I will read something. I go, all oh, people are evil. Just look at what's going on in the news. And the Holy Spirit will go, no, you love them. And I go, I do? And he goes, oh, yeah, because I love them. And I go, oh, and he goes, just go choose them. Don't worry about it. Go choose them. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Did they do bad things? Yes. Do we love them? Yes. Do we have to like them? No. (coughs) See, we get to choose every single day to listen to the Holy Spirit. We get to choose every single day to stop mourning. Get your butt up off of the bed and go do what you're supposed to go do. You know, the Holy Spirit tells me that quite often. Maybe I need to listen more, but there are times where I go, no, I don't want to do it. And he goes, we'll talk tomorrow. You know what? That's how gracious he is, is that he goes, well, we'll just do it tomorrow then because I'm going to come back and I'm going to keep telling you every single day, hey, you're good. I love you. You love people, and we're going to do this thing. He never stops. Just because you go, no, I don't want to do it today. I mean, my parents, I told them that every single day. And you know what? I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to do this. 
you know what? They, they tell me every single day, you're going to go to school. And not one time they go, I hate you because you didn't go to school. You don't want to go to school. You know, they just said, I love you. I'm sending you to school. And that's the way it was. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works with us is he tells us every single day, I love you. Get up. Wipe your eyes. And we're going to go change the world. Amen. Did y'all learn something today? Amen. Amen.